Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. While none of us likes to wait, there are circumstances that actually make waiting worse. It must be a little easier to wait if you if you know how long the wait will be. I, I think this is obvious. You know, the signs are, are posted at the entrance to rides at our amusement parks. They have the estimated wait time. And of course, Disney manages huge crowds historically and have discovered that people have a more enjoyable wait if they're are interesting things to see and hear while they wait, and hence the whole pre-show experience. I remember taking our kids to SeaWorld and being very hot and very miserable and waiting for the Clyde and Seymour show to begin. But then when we were just almost ready to leave, we were so miserable, the mime would show up. And as he would entertain us and mesmerize us by his antics, the, the waiting actually was made tolerable and even enjoyable. Going to the dentist, no offense to those in the dental profession, is one of my least enjoyed adventures. So knowing the torture that's coming, sitting in the waiting room is a place of mixed emotions. On on the one hand, I want to sort of just get it over with. And on the other, I hope that some event of some kind calls everybody out of the office so we have to reschedule. Do you remember waiting for Christmas as a kid? It was especially tedious when you had asked for a particular gift, you really wanted it, and you're pretty sure it was already wrapped under the tree, and yet it was still 10 days till Christmas. And then there's also that surprise gift that you've gotten someone for a birthday, anniversary, or Christmas. You, ser- you searched, you, you saved your money, you found the perfect gift, and it's almost harder to wait for them to experience their surprise than it is to wait for your own gifts. R- relational waiting can be downright painful. I remember when one of my best friends in high school and college got crosswise with me over something. We, To this day, I don't know what it was. But for several months, we just didn't talk to each other. And it was a bad wait until one day we both sort of snapped out of it, reconnected as if nothing had ever happened and are good friends to this day. Sometimes in families, there are misunderstandings. Families are great places for misunderstandings. And each side sort of waits for the other to be the first to say, I'm sorry. And while the relationship is wounded, it is heavy. I mean, it just feels heavy waiting. And when someone finally says, I'm sorry, wow, there's this lightness that comes in contrast to the heaviness of waiting for reconciliation. Families are great places to learn waiting. One of the most valuable lessons, parents, that you can give to your children is waiting, uh, delayed gratification, learning to not go for the immediate benefit, but instead a greater benefit that comes after waiting. We've all been one of one, or maybe we've seen one for sure, that spoiled child who gets pretty much whatever they want whenever they want it. Waiting is a delayed gratification. That learning just somehow is missing. 
When those of you who grew up with the Bible stories, as soon as you hear the the name Joseph, you almost automatically say, and the coat of many colors. For those of you more modern musical theater buffs, you may think of the amazing Technicolor uh, dream coat by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. In my mind, I figured out this week that I must have gotten the story of Hannah making a little coat for Samuel each year as he was at the temple, and they would go up there each year, and Jacob making his special multicolor robe for Joseph. Because I've always sort of thought of Joseph getting this special coat like at eight, nine, or ten years of age. Truth is, when Joseph is introduced to us in Scripture, he's a young 17-year-old man. He's, he's not a, he's sort of a, a goody, goody, spoiled child, dad's favorite. When he finds out that his brothers have done something that would displease their father, he can't just sit on it, can't hold back. He can't, you know, use the information and hold it to where it'd be most advantageous down the road. Nope, he's a rush to judgment tattletale. The whole family system knows that Joseph is Israel's favorite of his sons. It's only human to have preferences, but nothing good comes when parents reveal their preferences by too much favor or too much discipline. Joseph may have been a a tattletale to his dad, seeking to contribute to their bond and to draw them together, but the effect on his brothers was just the opposite. It pushed them away. In that day and culture, the, the rules about inheritance and the firstborn sons and the birthright, who gets the blessing, uh, was, were very serious. And of course, Israel, whose name had been Jacob, had had that whole birthright and blessing thing with his brother Esau and their dad Isaac. And so Joseph's brothers, knowing he, this that, that uh, Joseph is the favorite, are fearful that their dad might be skipping the birth order. Since Joseph was the oldest son of his favorite wife, Rachel, maybe dad was lining up the birthright and the blessing for Joseph. Now, the older brothers would take the herds of animals and they would move to distant grazing places. They'd be gone sometimes maybe for a couple of months uh, as as they took care of their animals. This time, they had been gone long enough that Israel was concerned about their welfare, and so he decides to send Joseph, go check on them and bring me word of their whereabouts. When he finally located them, they see Joseph coming, and, and there's no warm feelings of, of brotherly heart you know, for, the, for him. Instead, they say, here comes, here comes the, the boy in his fancy coat, you know, probably has some of more insulting dreams to share with us. Let's be done with him. Let's kill him and throw him in one of these empty, dry cisterns here nearby, and then report to our dad that some terrible, ferocious animal must have destroyed him and killed him, devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Well, Reuben, Reuben doesn't want to hurt his dad, and so he suggests that instead of shedding blood, that they just throw him into the cistern and he'll die in time. He planned to come back and get him out and send him on his way home. So that's what they did. They threw Joseph into the cistern, and as they sat down to eat their supper, they noticed an Ishmaelite caravan headed for Egypt. They pulled Joseph out. They sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. 
they take his special robe, they dip it in some animal's blood, and they take it to their dad. It's torn up. They tear it up and, uh, and allow him to identify it, and the ruse is complete. Joseph arrives in Egypt. He sold to Potiphar, and, and soon he's running the, the place and caring for all of Potiphar's entire house, household, everything about his work. Every morning, he wakes up in the nice place of Potiphar's home with, with much freedom and responsibility. He decides each day to be a contribution, to make the world a better place for his being there. Maybe in time he can barter for his freedom and return to his family. And in the meantime, he will wait. Here's the lesson for today about what we can do while we wait. Joseph is waiting with no clarity about ever seeing his dad and his brothers again. So what does Joseph do while he waits? He decides that every day he will get up and be a contribution to Potiphar's home, to his affairs, to all that Potiphar has put under his oversight. Now, now being a slave is bad, but his position in slavery hierarchy is about as good as it gets for a slave. Everything in Potiphar's house has been entrusted to Joseph. That is everything except his wife. And when Joseph refuses to dishonor God by having an immoral relationship with her, she accuses him of the very thing he refuses to do, and Joseph is thrown in prison where the king's prisoners are kept. There's there's little doubt in my mind that if Potiphar had fully believed his story, He would simply have had his slave executed. But no, he sends him to the king's prison. If you've ever done anything in prison ministry, you know that you'll hear from many of the prisoners the fact that they are either not guilty, period, or they aren't as guilty as that for which they've been incarcerated. I can't imagine being in prison. Suffering the punishment the sentence for having messed up in some way. We, we, we believe in so much in grace and second chances, it's just hard to imagine. But serving time, matching the infraction, would be a rough period. But Joseph, being in prison, charged and convicted and sentenced for something for which he was not guilty, makes the waiting for the time of the sentence to go by much worse. And, and while too many prisoners claim to be innocent, The sad reality is that some are innocent. You may or may not have heard of the Innocent Project. It was founded in 1992 by Peter Neufeld and Barry Sheck at Cardoza School of Law, and it works to exonerate wrongly convicted uh, people through DNA testing and to return the criminal and to reform the criminal justice system to prevent future injustices. They work on cases like Albert Woodfox who was kept in solitary confinement most of the time at Angola prison for the longest record in U.S. history, 43 years in solitary confinement. On February 19, 2016, his 69th birthday, he packed his belongings in a garbage bag and walked out of the prison to freedom. He had done some things that deserved a short jail time. He was no saint but was innocent of that which had kept him in solitary confinement for 43 years. For the first five of those years, he was never allowed to even go outside. 
He's written his story in a book entitled Solitary, Unbroken by Four Decades of Solitary Confinement, My Story of Transformation and Hope. I want to ask you, what would you do while you wait to be exonerated, while you wait for freedom uh, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, 43 years? Listen to Albert's words. He says, every day you start over. You look for humanity in each individual. He says, I made my bed every morning. I cleaned my cell. I I had my own cleanup rag that I used to wipe down the walls. When they passed out a broom and mop, I swept and mopped the floor of my cell. I worked out at least an hour every morning in my cell, six feet by nine feet. By the time I was 40, he said, I saw how I had transformed my cell, which was supposed to be a confined space of destruction and punishment, into something positive. I I used the space to educate myself. I used that space to build a strong moral character. I used that space to develop principles and a, a code of conduct. I used that space for everything other than what my captors intended it to be. In my 40s, he says, I saw how I developed a moral compass that was unbreakable, a, a strong sense of what was right or wrong. People, even if other people didn't feel it, I, I saw it, I felt it, I tasted it. It, it, some, it was something I didn't feel right, then was no threat, no amount of pressure could make me move in that direction. I knew that my life was the result of a conscious choice I made every minute of the day. A choice to make myself better. A choice to make things better for others. I made a choice not to break. I made a choice to change my environment. I'm sure the stories aren't, aren't um, wholly dissimilar of the 375 DNA exonerees achieved by the Innocent Project. Often where they find, they release one, the actual perpetrator is then apprehended because now they are again looking for them. Amazing cases like Sonny Jacobs and Peter uh, Pringle. Both of them, uh, independently, he in Ireland and she in the United States, were both served 15 years each for the accused murder of a police officer. Both were proved innocent by DNA evidence after 15 years in jail. Today, they are 71 and 80 years old, respectively, a a couple in Ireland running the Sunny Foundation to help people wrongly incarcerated. I like to think of what Albert did in the words of Benjamin and Rosamund Zander. He chose to be a contribution. Can can you embrace life as as a place to contribute and determine, even in periods of of waiting, to be a contribution? I think about the mundane reality. Uh, We all, you know, at one time or another, find ourselves simply waiting in line, maybe at the DMV. And, And we can stress over someone cutting the line. And we can fume at, at the inefficiency of those working the, the counter and how slow things are going. Uh, and, and we can, you know, wish our, ourselves to be at some other place. We can be as unpleasant as the weight itself is. Or, or we can say to ourselves, this is my life right now. This is the time, this is the place 
where I can contribute. I'll be a contributor. I'll make a contribution. And, and you can catch the eye of a, of a child, uh, maybe a, a little ahead of you in line or behind you in line, uh, bored out of their gourd, waiting with their parents, and, and you can make up a little game to play with them, and you can be a contribution, a contributor. The, the person in front of you or behind you needs to go to the restroom, and you can hold their place in the line. That, that person you see who looks overly distraught and anxious, you can offer to help, and you discover that they left their phone in the car, and they need to make an important phone call. So you can either hold their place in line while they go get their phone, or you can lend them yours. Some of you right now, in what you believe to be impossible relational situations, it's just not working as you imagined. I challenge you to temporarily set your wants, your needs, your desires aside and see how you might be a positive contribution to the other person in this situation. How can you contribute to healing? How can you contribute to to their getting what they want without damaging you? Some of you are are wrestling with yourself. You're never cutting yourself any slack. You want perfection, and maybe just out of, not just out of yourself, probably if you want perfection out of yourself, you want it out of others too. But what if while you wait for the second coming, when perfection will be a realistic possibility, what if you kick perfection off your list and replaced it with, I will be or make a contribution? Leave the perfecting to the one who perfects, the one who began a good work in you, who will bring it to completion on the day of his coming. Uh, Some of you are are in a poor me zone during this COVID time. You've spent way too much focus on how it's been bad for you and what you are missing. And in the world, uh, in the words of Bob Newhart's counseling uh, sketch, just stop it. Just stop it. Change your mental gears and determine that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, and and the first thing you're going to think is, how can I be a contribution to my world today? How can I make this world a better place because I passed this way? I think that's what Joseph did at Potiphar's house. I think he, he, he did it so well that Potiphar didn't have him executed. What did Joseph do in prison? His focus wasn't self-pity. His focus wasn't figuring out how to do a jailbreak. Joseph said, this is my world. This king's prison is the canvas where I will paint. This is the, the best place right now where I can make a contribution. I'll spend my life here making a contribution. I, I'm not in competition with my fellow prisoners. I'm not trying to... to uh, fix every case or solve every problem. I'm not organizing an overthrow of the prison system. All I know is that God has given me this day. The the, the past is over. The future is not here yet. I have today. And right to now, today, I get to contribute. Joseph has no idea that there would be a, a baker and a butler who would land in his prison and whose dreams he would interpret. Joseph had no idea that that he will become number two in the country just under Pharaoh himself, put in charge of all of Egypt. Joseph had no idea while he's in prison that that he'd marry Asenath and have two boys. Joseph had no idea 
His whole family would move to Egypt to fulfill God's prophetic word to his great-grandfather Abraham. That was all behind the hidden screen of the future. All he had was this day in prison. This day unjustly accused, unfairly imprisoned, innocent but incarcerated. So what do we do while we wait? We join Joseph and we commit, even in unfair and unknown times of waiting, to being a contribution. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.